Hi, everyone, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a product of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I'm Graham Couch of the Lansing State Journal, alongside my colleague Chris Solari of the Detroit Free Press. Uh, happy to be back with you uh, doing a podcast here on a uh, late Monday morning after uh, Michigan State's uh, loss to Indiana on Sunday. Um, and uh, we're going to spend quite a bit of time on that, on the state of the basketball program, where things are, state of the team. And, um, yeah, so let's uh, let's dig into it. Chris, how you doing? I'm sitting in front of a heater um, with a winter hat on in my basement office. So it's that uh, that, that kind of sums it up. You don't have heat in your, no <laughs> it, it's been a long run. I mean, this is, you know, you talk about it being Monday afternoon. This is quite honestly the and i know tom Izzo talked about this being a quote unquote day off for for him but i mean the stretch of basketball with a game every third day it, it's it's been a, a grueling grind even for for us who don't even pick up a ball i mean it's you know that's a, it it's a very it, it's been a very very condensed period of time for for everybody that's been around the team so my only issue with their schedule this year is the um, – I love the NFL playoffs. Like it is I, – yeah. I, I and the, since I've been covering the team or covering college basketball, period, I've never run into a schedule where they play road game Sundays, divisional playoffs, NFC, AFC championship, and Super Bowl. And you just miss all of it. And that, that stinks. <laughs> and I just – I don't really – you know, I mean, I wish – You know why that is, right? What's that? It's competitive television programming. Oh, sure. Yeah. It's it's the, one the schedule Sunday. all comes down to what TV wants and when right. they when if they, they were if, if they were if they were Penn State basketball. But even if one of them was at home, it would be helpful because then you're you know, you're 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 not on the road. Um but it, look, our jobs are amazing and I'm not gonna uh, I'm not complaining about the job. I'm just saying I would um I will talk to the oh, big yeah. But from the team standpoint, you know, you look at the way the schedule has set up, you know, you had that game at Wisconsin. And then you get home, what, that Wednesday night after that game? And immediately, or yeah, that Tuesday night after that game, you, pr- you you have meetings the next day on Wednesday, a walkthrough, a practice on Thursday, and you're on a flight back to Illinois Thursday night. I mean, that's that's kind of tough. And then on top of that, the games from the Illinois to the Purdue game, and then – from uh, the Rutgers game to the the game in Indiana, you've had those three days, you know, where you're playing every three days, but it gets cut even farther because you played the first game of that those two on a night and then the second game on an afternoon. So you lose even a couple more hours of prep, which are in that time for, for Tom Izzo, his staff and the players to, to go from, Wisconsin to Illinois and or excuse me from from Illinois to Purdue and then from Rutgers to Indiana so you have I, less prep time I, mean, I think the only time yeah. that that may have hurt him at all and you know I, and I'm, I'm I'm semi-sympathetic with this and semi-not like you know people complain about the schedule but I grew up in an era when the Big Ten played every Thursday Saturday and, and granted there was uh consistency right. that, in that. that's consistency though the, the way that the Big Ten schedule is now we talked with Tom Izzo about this before they went to Indiana, the way the Big Ten schedule has been aligned right now, the TV networks have blocks of programming that need filled. And the Big Ten is now playing every day of the week. Yeah. Big Ten basketball is every day of the week. You don't have, like, the, the biggies had the big Monday, right? I mean, you know, you have patterns where I'm playing on a Monday, I'm playing on a Thursday. You could, I mean, look at the schedule. I mean, they played Wednesdays, Tuesdays, Monday afternoons, Sunday afternoons, so really Saturday here. I mean, it, it's all over the map, and I know Tom Izzo, and I know a lot of the other coaches are concerned about that and how it's affecting not just the teams and not just their players, but the basketball itself. Because there's no, you don't have that, like you said, the Tuesday, Thursday, or Tuesday, Saturday consistency anymore. Um, so everything, I mean, it's, you know, the, 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 I think this is why you hear Tom Izzo so often in the last couple months talk about you know, we still have to go to class. We still have to go to school. It's not because of any any other school. It's because of the TV networks. I, I feel like, and I wonder where fans are on this, because I feel like he plays the hits with that stuff. Like I play the hits with talking about I, I once worked in Kalamazoo. Like it's, it's yeah. you know, it, at a certain point, it's like, well, this is what it is. And 
you know, it, 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 there may be parts of it that are that are tough. I thought the only time to this this year yet, uh, I should say, in the Big Ten schedule uh, where the schedule started to affect him, and we can get into this game, is the the Indiana game a little bit. Like I, I just in terms of the prep for that, and because it's the first time that we have seen them sort of dissected, and that you know, Indiana like Purdue and like Michigan and like a lot of teams they faced. You have to pick your poison a little bit because they have a big man that that causes issues in Trace Jackson Davis, and they sort of got picked apart in both ways in a lot in a lot of it. And that's the first time we've seen that happen. Usually, they've been able to minimize one one element of it, so it doesn't hurt them. This time, Indiana goes nine for fifteen for three. They were laid on some rotations. You know, Trace Jackson Davis is playing at a level that's higher than any anybody in the in the in the, in the conference right now. I mean, he was twenty four of thirty two combined in the two games before this Michigan State actually made him work more for for his buckets he, he's, he's trouble one-on-one he sees the game real well and he's he's been in college a long a long time he's a seasoned college basketball player could do another year with his fifth year if he if he chooses to and and, and given that what he, he's a modest at best NBA prospect who knows Indiana's probably got more NIL than, uh, than a lot of places in hoops so he is a difficult cover and I think one thing that's interesting, and I wrote about this today, is, I mean, the storyline to me, there are a couple of thick guys who are really struggling. One is Pierre Brooks. That's obvious. Lost confidence in his shot. And when you lose confidence in your shot, one of the things he needs to do is, is keep moving it more. I know these are technically open looks. And when the ball gets swung to you in the corner, you got to take that. But there were times where he took the shot where there, there was another pass to make. And when you don't have confidence, you just want to be out there on the floor making good plays and, and 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 I think he's he's really pressing and he's in a, in a bad place headspace right now. Um, they need him to be uh, a guy who can knock down shots for them. There's no question. He, there were too many sh- opportunities in that game where he had a good look and didn't hit it, or they needed something out of that possession. The other guy, Sissoko, who look, I don't think we're ever going to see the Sissoko Chris that we saw at the beginning of the year that surprised everybody before he was on scouting reports. Yeah, I think there, wasn't, a little tape, bit there wasn't enough tape for for teams. Yeah, and there's a little bit of that with Jackson Cola right now. His first game, I mean, he looked like a guy against Rutgers who was not a concern of theirs at all on the scouting report, and he, and he was able to get some stuff going. And he's got a lot of moves to his game, but people will start countering that. But I do think with Sissoko, I thought for the longest time he was better off as the underdog. He was better off not against a mid-major because he doesn't have the skills to um, take advantage offensively, but – playing up and and having to take on a big I think it's warmed down though the, the fact the last you go back the, the the last four games he's really struggled he's averaged about two and 2.8 points five something rebounds the guys he's playing against are averaging 23.8 and 12.8 and go back to Illinois Purdue with Edie and then uh Rutgers with Morier and, and and now Jackson Davis he looks like a guy's lost confidence he's got the, the worst matchup every night and He's just not quite equipped for it. They don't have Malik Hall, which hurts a little bit. They need to figure out a way to get him some confidence because they need him to be. They need him to be better than this. They 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 really do. I think there's, and we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. I think there's a a little bit of a line of differentiation between the situation that Brooks is in and the situation that Sissoko's in, just simply because you know Sissoko is a kid who picked up basketball later in life and has to navigate uh had to navigate uh coming to america from from mali and you know so there's i i think it, it's hard to say where the ceiling is at this point I, I think that he you know he's obviously at a point where michigan state needs him based on their roster limitations uh significantly they need him and you know maybe it was i don't want to say it was fool's goal what we saw at the beginning of the year, but you're right. It wasn't on scouting reports and it took takes coaches a couple times, a couple games to kind of catch up to some of that stuff. Once you see a player make that development in particular from the summer to the winter, when the season begins, you know, you, you don't see what's going on in the off season until the first couple games. So I, I, they've I, teams have cut off that lob. I mean, that's, that's gone. And that was a lot of what he was doing on the offense where Hogard or Walker, would be coming down the lane and just lob the ball up when with Sissoko cutting opposite opposite lane. They've taken and that, yeah. They've taken that. That's LU completely gone. Entirely. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, he's shown some moves to me where he's able to free himself up 
you know, mid paint for some turnarounds, some, some things that, you know, are, you know, six to eight feet away from the rim, but they're not falling, but, but there's, there's some potential, there's some development there. You know, he's probably miscast just based on the roster right now that he would be to me, a guy that would be a good first or second option, big off the bench, but this is where they're at. He's he defensively is a, a pretty decent player and they need that. That said, Pierre Brooks is not a decent defensive player right now. Again, you know, there's there's upside and there's stuff that comes on the player. And I think that Tom Izzo has talked about that extensively the last few weeks. Uh, I know he met with Brooks the other day, you know, before before they went to Indiana. And, you know, I'm sure that a lot of that conversation revolved around the fact that with Malik Hall's injury, they need Pierre Brooks to be serviceable, to, to provide some things. And at Indiana, he didn't do that at all. I mean, you know, there, you, you can talk all you want about the missed shots. Shooters got to shoot to me. And, you know, you're not going to have that rhythm. But if you're losing it at the defensive end of the floor, and at times, I mean, there, there was a couple – Indiana was moving the ball, and I don't think Indiana's a great ball-moving team – but there were points where they were just swinging the ball around the perimeter and into the post. And Pierre Brooks was running in a circle trying to figure out how and where to be. Well, you can't be that way. You got to have somewhere to be and lock down. He, you know, these little things like that on the defensive end and with a coach that emphasizes the defensive end and without Malik Hall, who is a defensive quarterback in a lot of ways, that's going to affect your shot. I mean, that's going to all having to worry about where I'm going to be on defense as my priority sometimes is going to affect what you're doing as a shooter and right now at both ends of the court brooks just looks lost and yeah you know, it, it, he's a good so, kid i'll tell you what he's a good kid and i think he's sharp and and a, a, a pretty good leader but you know in reading between the lines with some of the things that Izzo said going into the indiana game you know that brooks is a kid he needs to take care of his body better and i don't know if it was you know, if, you know, he had that that big run at the Phil Knight Invitational that, you know, where he was playing 30 minutes a game. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. It's, you know, it's it's perplexing and I'm sure, you know, maddening for Izzo because there's there's a point of frustration between what he's not getting from Brooks, seeing what the potential is. And then realizing that he doesn't have Malik Hall. That's the best case. That's the best option they have to replace Malik Hall right now, and it's not working. Again, you, you should know when you recruit people what their body types are and what their shortcomings are. And and so, you know, I mean, you, you build a roster. And, I, and look, I, I think Brooks is – Yeah, you say that, but then then look at Draymond Green. True, true. I mean, and, and right, guys – Guys have guys, to work too. And, and I think part of the problem is, though, when you go to yesterday's game situationally, like we talk about Sissoko and, and Brooks – there are times you need a bucket. And so the best play, like I went through the plus minus, like all the – how uh, both Kohler and uh, Sissoko did against Trey Jackson Davis and, and and just sort of figuring out. And and they were better on the court a little bit with Sissoko than, than Kohler in terms of plus minus and in terms of defensively against Jackson Davis, uh, although Kohler gives you more offensively, but just in terms of what the score was. However, you have to break things down further – Kohler was on the court for more of that stretch, much more of that stretch when they were without Jaden Akins and A.J. Hogard late in the first half, and they got outscored 15-4 to with Kohler out there. But that wasn't largely him. And so you start looking at situationally, Kohler had two huge buckets back-to-back that he created at points they needed buckets. And one put them up 29-26, and the other was just before that. Anyway, Indiana is starting to get some momentum, and Kohler answers, and he answers against Davis. And uh, or against Jackson Davis and um, and Pierre Brooks to that point, or sorry, and Sissoko to that point had they really needed a bucket at one point. Indiana's starting to get back into it. I don't know why they threw it to Sissoko on the post, but either way, Sissoko's got to recognize just because they throw you the ball in the post doesn't mean you need to take the shot. And he takes like a fadeaway 12 footer that misses on a possession, they need a bucket, and you, you just can't have that. That's not the shot in that possession. And there were a couple times they really needed a bucket, and Brooks got in the game and hadn't had barely gotten a sweat, had barely run up and down the floor, and takes a three, 
and misses on a play that he could have swung it again. Those situational moments for them, from those guys, those make a big difference. And, you know, you can have shortcomings, but if you negatively affect your team because you make the wrong play in key moments, that has nothing to do with your skill as a finisher or your, you know, like that. that's where those two guys, they, they need more from them. That's to me like a, the battle between potential and current reality too, because you look at those guys and if, if they're not taking those shots, if they're not showing that aggressiveness, then what are you playing? Especially if they're both on the court, you're playing five on three at that end of the court and you're allowing five guys to focus on, on three offensive players. So you have, it's a, it's a weird balancing act. I mean, like, like you see lineups now, I mean, you know, I know Izzo went to Jason Whiten's at one point over Brooks late because for in the first half, I think for defensive reasons, but I think they had a lineup out there with Whiten's and Carson Cooper. Well, now you, you, again, your other three guys on offense are going to have more attention because those other two players aren't offensive threats unless they show something. So it's the, kind of the same thing there. Let, let's let's talk about the other decision that I thought really affected this game. Um, and, and and I know Walker wasn't 100% was playing with a stomach bug, and there's some other things, and it's on the road. Look, yeah, that's, that, I mean, we really didn't talk about that a lot. Is We didn't find out about that from Izzo until after the game. And he had eight we, points and you know played 33 minutes but didn't look the same. You're playing a good team on the road that's just pounded Wisconsin and Illinois. Uh, that's that's you hit them at the wrong time on a weekend with a good crowd. It's buzzing. They hit nine threes, and you know it's a tough game. You can lose that game in a lot of ways. I, I thought there were things down the stretch where they where they've been more poised that they weren't in this particular game. But I thought the other decision that you could call into question. Uh, the other thing was was sitting Hogard for the full eight minutes after he picks up his second foul on that three point shot. And and Aikens being out for a good chunk of that, and Aikens played pretty well at times. Had a couple turnovers that weren't great. That was a time where the, the game really changed, and they lost sort of a grip on it. And I know they got it back to tied in the second half and actually took the lead. But again, now you're playing from a deficit. I, I disagreed with Izzo in that sense that I would have I would have played Hogard in the final. You could feel that start to you know like thirty one thirty or thirty two thirty one with like two and a half minutes to go. I, I would have put Hogard back in there and 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 tried and hoped he was careful just because you could tell at that point they needed somebody they needed him they needed his presence and I think that's one of those things. Look, I think there should be six fouls before you foul out in college basketball. Boy, uh, speaking of talking points, yeah, right. That's the go to and 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 I think tell me what David Cool thinks about it too because that's that's our it's next asinine. Point. It's asinine that it's not there. It's ridiculous. But in this case, his second foul was not the result of some. Tick, like what drives me nuts about the reason there's not six fouls is that often that second foul is some really questionable call that changes the game. This was uh, an undisciplined move by Hogard, and whether how much contact he got, you can't go aggressively into a shooter like that. And he definitely touched the guy's arm, and he's going to get that call nine out of ten times. And and he and so and he knows it. You, and, you're going to get that call nine out of ten times because the refereeing is bad. Plain and simple. Well, they touched. He touched his arm. I mean, I, arm I, I didn't shot. think he got him, and that 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 to me was sold by the shooter in that moment. That's I, fine. I, no, that's a whole that's a whole different argument. Like, I, me, well, that but that falls on the refereeing, and that's Izzo's big argument is you can't trust the refereeing. So, what do you totally. do to keep the guy I, available for the final twenty minutes? I would have one year if I if I had if I was the czar of college basketball, I would come in for a year and say we're going to review every play, halftime and after the game, and if you. If you do, if you if you sell it, if you flop, if you fall on a three point shot when a guy touches your arm, you're suspended for the next game. We're gonna get that out of the freaking sport. We're done. We're done with it. That would be me. But that's make just technical. Me. I mean, you don't even have to throw him out. Just make it a technical. And also, if you're an official and and a guy fouls out and three of the five calls are bad calls, you're done for the year. Um, but that would be a whole different. And then you wouldn't call. have enough officials to ref every to ref a game every day of the week in every different conference. Either way, I, I would have brought – I mean, and, and I think that's part of the problem, though, is is a sort of trusted Hogard. I don't I don't agree with that. I, I think that the, it, how he went up to him right after it, basically yeah. telling him, you cannot do this. This is yeah. this is the arguments that, that they have back and forth and have for the last two years of knowing what you have to do, knowing your responsibilities, and being smart enough to not – Correct. Not allow so, yourself to get out of 
what you you should be doing. I mean, that, yeah, so it's sort point of guard, you talk about the head leading and the bot and the body dying, you know, as a point guard, you know, you got to know and show that you aren't going to be in a, put yourself in a position to make that foul. So if you put yourself in a position to make that foul, how can your coach trust you? That's why I that's, think that's a good point. That's a good point. But he also doesn't trust the refs, which which is hard to right. trust. So you, so you don't well, know. He, it's call. easier to it's easier to say he doesn't trust the refs than say he doesn't trust his own true, guy. True, true, true. Yeah, and I think that's why I didn't put him in. I, I still would have taken the risk because I don't think it was worth giving up the points. And that's what they essentially did. Well, um, see, but here's the thing: Indiana was coming back. You remember when when Galloway hit those two threes? I mean, it was it. Michigan State was knocked out they get a technical right after that for Sissoko getting shoved down by by cop and then they go on their big run because because that crowd was about ready to burst after Galloway's second three and like five seconds later is when Sissoko got knocked down Michigan State goes on a 10-0 run I mean it's part of a 10-0 run for them um but then that crowd just kept building building buildings it wasn't like you we could say that it was about Hogard uh, but I mean, it's up to that point in the game. He wasn't really a factor. Well, the factor he, he, was that correct. point. He had not he had not done all that much. Although there were a couple. And of I get that everything changes around him, but you know, I, you know, I, I thought Holloman played decent until he he had a moment that I think took him completely out of rhythm in that that late stretch in the half where he tried to attack the basket, saw Trace Jackson Davis, and then just like pulled up and froze and didn't know what to do and that like half second to a second indecision jackson davis comes over and just blocked his shot if he kept going he's by him but and that's you've got guards you've got plenty the one thing this team has is guards so i mean you could be a little more rigid with that i i mean you so, know that said that said I mean, when you don't know how the game's going to be called i mean so kind of going in that there was a point where Renault from uh, from Indiana got called for a foul on Joey Hauser. Like Hauser gets a defensive rebound, turns to box, boxes him out to get ready to go up the court. Renault just kind of like bumps into him with his hand, and the refs call a foul. The two possessions later, Hauser gets the ball at the top of the key and is driving down the lane. Renault's absolutely clubbing him, but because the referees screwed up that other call and, and called a touch foul, they let that go down the lane. That, the, it's maddening to see things like that. And that, that's not either a Michigan State or Indiana or whatever fan base. It's the inconsistencies like that 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 are alarming for college basketball with the refs being so wildly all over the place. But it's bad for the sport. It's just bad for the game and bad for the experience for fans and for the coaches and the players that don't know what is or isn't a foul anymore. To Hogard, um, a couple things. One, some of why his stats were low is, like, there was a play he could have driven to the rim where Hauser had been really hot, and he passed it to Hauser, and then Hauser missed. Like, he was like, okay, this is um, – but I agree. He hadn't done a lot to that point. He's still – like, at that point, you could feel it unraveling. It was 37-32 at halftime. It could have been worse. They got lucky in the final minute that it got back to that point – could have been 10. You could feel momentum changing. Hogarth is your guy. He is your force that changes that. You, you, you know, in games even that they've lost in the second half against Northwestern, he is the the guy who is the force who changes momentum for you um, most clearly. And so, like, to me, that's in that moment where you can feel it going the other way, and it felt like a big moment at 32-31, just based on feel. I'm, I know he's not doing a ton that night to that point. That's when I'm going – um, with Hogard back in, uh, Aikens would have helped too. But to me, you know, I'm, Hogard is the guy you need. And and I would have left Aikens on the bench. I would have played Hogard. They didn't do it. They didn't get it back to tied. It's not why they lost the game, but I think it would have changed the dynamic of it. And I I think I would have done that differently. But I also understand why Izzo didn't trust uh, either in that situation. It's just a random thing that I want to mention. Like uh, you look at Jackson Davis's numbers. He had 16 points in the last nine minutes after Indiana already went up nine. And Hogard, I think, on the other end, had a lot of his points late as yeah. well when the game was already decided. But like, you know, there were other players that were making those runs. I mean, uh, the the Bates kid hitting the threes was big uh, for for Indiana. And there, the, I mean, Hauser was good early, and then you, could, I think, you kind of saw fatigue set in. 
because, I mean, the guy hadn't missed a free throw in Big Ten play and has been sharp all year and missed three yesterday. Like, I think yeah. the, the Izzo's kind of ta- alluded to that, too, that the minutes factor is wearing down. But, like, wearing, you know, him and Hogarth in particular down. But but the da- the Jackson Davis thing, I mean, you know, he it wasn't like it was a dominant game until the game was decided for him. Like, he, you're right. You said it earlier, and I, this, I didn't get a chance to kind of pipe in with it, but, like, it was, you know, he he had to work for a lot of what he got early. Now, at the end of the game, you saw him just kind of dominating and take over. But up to that that nine minute mark of the second half, I mean, he he was he was playing well, but not all American level. Let's spin it forward a little bit. They're they're uh, at this point uh, uh, five and four in the Big Ten. Uh, it'll be the halfway mark after they play Iowa on Thursday night. And it's it's by the way it's still January and they're at the halfway mark of the Big Ten season. If you want to look at some of the issues with the scheduling, that's part of it too. That they played more in a condensed period. Well, they played two in December. Yeah. I understand they played two in December, but usually it's in February when they hit the the mid part. You remember? Oh, the, yeah, and the NCAA tournament's a, month, a week earlier this year, which is which is it is know, a little bit it of, a, is. Little and, of an issue. And uh, I, I mean the other thing to keep in mind too, and you know, we talk about we were talking earlier about this being uh, scheduling blocks and everything else that's going on with television. And I, by the way, I went through and looked. Michigan State has, I believe, played a Big Ten game every day of the week because they played Monday afternoon against Purdue. They played uh, Tuesday night at Wisconsin. They played a Wednesday game at Penn State. They played Thursday game against Rutgers. They played a Friday game at Illinois. Um, I, and I believe they have not played a Saturday game yet, uh, but that's coming up, uh, against Rutgers. So they'll, I mean, seven days a week, I mean, you yeah. know, and again, it goes into the TV blocks, right? So what's coming up the, the Super Bowl, And like you mentioned, the NFL playoffs, um, you know, the, the kind of looking ahead, these, this Purdue game coming up on Sunday, I think it's Sunday, yeah. um, you know, Again, it's 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 kind of lead in programming to a lot of the the other games or competitive programming on other networks. Right. I was going to say the Ohio State game is not a is a CBS game, and I think and they don't have a right. They don't have a Super Bowl, but the um uh so yeah no and the calendar sometimes gets screwy once in a while where the just the way it works when the Masters is the, the NCAA tournament has to be done by. And so I think that it, you know things get condensed every few years like this, and it, it, it is one week less in that sense. It's almost like that week that they played a week early uh, when they played in uh, New York in the Big Ten tournament. Um, but so if five and four, you're given what Purdue is, barring going down to West Lafayette on next Sunday and winning that game, you're you're not competing for a Big Ten title. You're just not. And unless Purdue has an injury, because the one thing about Purdue is they are they're like a Zach Eady injury away from being nowhere near what they are, right? So every team, I is think that's that. the only injury that that would derail them at this Correct. point, because that's well, the one yeah. thing they don't necessarily have another of. So it's funny because Izzo said that at the beginning of the year too that they basically have uh, you know two of everything. They're like Noah's Ark, I think was the the line. Yeah. Iowa is a big game though at home. They've got they, you know you want to stay if you want to you want to keep. They've done a good job of like keeping above five hundred in the league. When they played Rutgers, that you know instead of four and four, you're five and three. Um, and, and if you can stay above there and stay above sort of the the, the mosh pit of teams that are going to be in the middle. Now the good the good news for Michigan State to me is that they've got a couple things going for them. One, at some point you're going to get Malik Hall back. And secondly, just based on non conference schedule and other things, unlike some schools like. The rival Michigan, like 10 wins gets it done for you in the NCAA tournament. Um, the question is, can you get a seed that's, uh, that's decent enough to, to have a chance to make a run? I, I tend to think this year in college basketball, like when Michigan State's as good as they can be, like at their best, if they're whole, there are very few teams, if any, maybe it, that, that they can't compete with on a given night. And I think the worst thing for some teams this year is like you look at this Big Ten, there are going to be like eight teams in this that get in between a seven and 10 seed and almost all of them are going to be, are going to play a two seed if they get to the second round 
and would probably beat that two seed three to four times out of ten. Like that's how little separation there is in college basketball. It almost stinks to be that two seed dealing with this um, just because these teams are going to beat up on each other. There's very little separation. If those teams were in a weaker league, you'd see a couple of them get themselves into a five, four range seed. And and, and maybe somebody will still do that. Um, but it's probably not going to be Michigan State unless, you know, we'll see. When they get hauled back, you know, uh, it's really who can finish games, who can win close games, who can win games on the road. And that's what I thought Michigan State would have a little more of this year is winning games uh, on the road that others didn't because of their seasoning and, and sweat equity and all that stuff. And But Malik, not having Malik Hall uh, hurts that. I do think playing Madison Square Garden instead of the rack, I don't know who talked Rutgers into giving up that home game. That was dumb. Yeah. Um, but uh, that, that'll that that'll help us too. When, when you – like. Chris, it'll be interesting to see how quickly they get Malik Hall back. But when you spin it forward, like, uh, when you look at the ceiling of this team and what this team needs to happen um, to make sure they're safely in the tournament and have good vibes going in, uh, what do you see as their prospects? Well, I think you said it. You know, I mean, you got a, you know, minimum 10, probably like 11 or 12 wins. I mean, it's six of their last 10 games are going to be on the road. Um, they've only got after they got five home games left right now, but once they get past that, and that's you know, then it's then it's at Purdue, the Rutgers game, Maryland at home, at Ohio State, and you get Minnesota at home, which you know, Minnesota, Michigan almost lost that Minnesota game, and that would have been a horrible loss for them. And that might have been the one that would knock them out of the, the tournament. Um, but you can't, that's a game you can't drop. I, I mean, you know, you got Iowa twice. You still got Indiana and Michigan again and Nebraska again. You got two with Ohio State. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I don't want to say it lightens up, but you'll be past the Purdue games, you know, once you once you get out of January. This has a, a chance to develop a little bit and develop some rhythm because I think the games, the frequency with which the games are being played during a given week also lessons. I think Izzo has, I mean, he talked about this after the game, you know, on Sunday. He said, we have no rotation right now. Part of that's not having Malik Hall. Part of it's the fact that you've got three bigs that are trying to, you're trying to figure out how to work them and how to how to best integrate them at certain moments. Um, because to me, that's, you know, the five is a developmental position right now. That's the thing I think that, that changes the ceiling of this team because, what if Jackson Kohler starts to to develop more on the defensive end and and can lessen some of the minutes and strain on Sissoko or maybe take over the starting job? What if Carson Cooper cuts into that a little bit more as he as his uh, development ex- potentially accelerates, which they haven't had practice time for that to happen with some of these guys. So, I, you know, it's it, it it's this is a wild, fascinating season for me because I think there's elements of development that have been ongoing. Jay Nakins, for example, I thought played his best game of of the season in Indiana. He was aggressive and he did a lot of things on both ends of the floor. Um, So, you know, I don't necessarily know if this is a season you can write off. It's really, it's, you know, not just a roller coaster, but it's, it's such a guessing game right now because there hasn't been the consistency with this team, but you've seen the bright spots. Even Izzo. I mean, I, like, have you seen Izzo as, I don't want to say upbeat because it, that's not the right word, but he wasn't crushed or totally disheartened by that loss at Indiana. No, he likes his team. He likes I, his team. I, yeah, I mean, you've heard him say this all all year, you know, you know, even in losses, he's like there were a lot of there were things to like and things to not like. So that if you're able to build some of that consistently with a little bit more practice that they haven't been able to have in this stretch and and kind of working on on developing those guys here, you know, I mean, it, stranger things have happened and I think this is a team that there's no ceiling right now. Um, and I don't know, you know, if there's a floor and get Malik Hall back, maybe that changes a lot of things too. Yeah. I don't, I don't have much sympathy for the rotation thing. Cause you have to have a rotation once in 10 years to complain about not having a rotation. And so every year we hear the same thing and like, can't use the bench as a teacher though, this year. That's, what's that? Can't use the bench as a teacher. No, try true. to, but true, true. But um, so, 
but yeah, no, I, I know it. I know what you mean on that. And I do think, right, when you look at their schedule, they have a stretch where, and it's not, there's no nothing easy because there's just very few easy games other than Minnesota, which is giving a couple teams fits. Um, you have a stretch that is uh, after the Rutgers game at Madison Square Garden. It's Maryland at home at Ohio State, which Ohio State will see what they like. Ohio State at one point I thought was going to be maybe the best team in the Big Ten. And then they've been awful at times. And so my guess is by the time Michigan State plays them, because this is the way the season's gone so yeah. far, they'll be rolling. But then you get Minnesota at home. You're at Michigan, which is a, you know, I mean, it's a tough game at Michigan, but it's relative to the rest of the Big Ten, it's winnable. Yeah, it's Indiana speaking of schedules, home. by the way, 9 p.m. Saturday night game, followed by a 9 p.m. Tuesday game, Michigan at and at Michigan and then at home against Indiana. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's not it's not great, but it's still it's it's basketball. They're 21 years old. I just I get that it, it hurt. It's not great for prep, but the second time you're playing people, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's different it's, in the back half yeah. of the schedule if you've already it's played totally. someone. That's that's the thing, is like they haven't had that. I mean, you know, what yeah. was they they've I think Purdue is the first two play they'll have. Yeah, right a lot now. of teams are dealing with I yeah, I mean it's the early part of the season, that's part of it, but you know, it it's also the condensed nature of it when you got Two days. I mean, it's, in a lot of ways, it's an it's an NCAA tournament schedule. So, does that help them later in the year? Possibly, probably. What you know, when things are you know game prep, game prep in the in the NCAA's. I mean, but you gotta you gotta get there and build momentum too. So, at the end of the season, there's if they need to make hay between. Um... Home against Maryland, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Their final eight games, yeah, include at Nebraska, which is not a gimme, but it's 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 uh, Minnesota at home, uh, Ohio State at home, Indiana at home, and um, you know, and then there's some other games that are toss up. Like those games can be toss ups too, but there there are games that they ought to like. I think if you know if they're they're at six wins at the turn. Um, they'll be in, in 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 really good shape, which means you know yeah. just beating Iowa. You know if they win, like if you're just talking about just the NCAA tournament, they need to win one of their next three uh, to 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 feel like they're still in that path. And I you know I, and that's Iowa uh, at Purdue, uh, Rutgers at Madison Square Garden, and and um, and then I think what, what will be interesting is can they get a stretch where they're whole, right? Can they get a stretch where Hall is healthy, Aiken's healthy? They start to play together. We have seen MSU teams come together late. I've, I'm done writing the the obituary in because uh, I've done it a couple times with the Cassius Winston teams in like early second week of February, and then those things came together at levels that yeah. you know we, we didn't see coming, and so that that is that is something that could still happen late. And again, I, I think there there are very few teams in college basketball, certainly in the Big Ten, that have four or five guys like they do. Like Michigan State has five guys who would be in everybody's rotation in the country four guys who might start for every team in the country in terms of um now obviously you wouldn't there are better lineups than michigan state but individually you throw malik hall most places they're going to make him work you throw joey hauser most places hogard most places walker most places like that that they have that going for them and and really good college basketball players seasoned guys and if they can you know if they can stay healthy for a minute i, I still think this is a team that can be a real pain in the butt for somebody in, in, in the postseason. And then, you know, you know, what's interesting, too, and in talking about those guys. And I mean, they've got it, we talk about the need to get a bucket. They've got three guys that you could rely on to do that. Yeah. I think between Hogard, Walker and, and Hauser. And they've they've got the ability to do it in different ways, both individually and together. I mean, you know, Hauser has gotten a lot better off the bounce. Uh, in taking the ball to the basket and being more aggressive. There were a couple times against Indiana where he passed up on a three to either set up someone else or take the ball to the rack himself, which, you know, the ability, you know, th those are game-changing plays right there. And Hogard's three-point shooting and outside shooting has improved. I'm not saying it's great, but it's improved that it's serviceable that you're in an end of the clock situation instead of him launching one up at 28 seconds into the shot clock. If it's four or three, you feel comfortable enough for him to either hit, you know, shoot from three or take a dribble in and hit one of those elbows. And Walker, Walker, you know, the one thing that he's got to do 
a little better is finishing traffic. I, I think he's got moments where he can do that. Um, but I think that he's struggled at times with the size disparity. Um, his best attributes are the mid-range game and and the the outside shot. Um, but you know, you got but he could still score going to the basket too. I mean, you saw the Dickinson play, you saw the play over Edie. I mean, it's you know, he's got that ability to do it, just not consistency around the basket. But you but that's where Hogard shines, right? So you've got all three levels, you've got three guys that can score, which makes you a dangerous team. Yeah, you've got all three of those guys can set up the other dudes to score too. And yeah, you, they always say you need three guys rolling to get anywhere. They could have that. And the other thing is, you know, if people are just looking for like optimism long term, and I think people, you know, are. And 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 I talked last year a lot about it being a two year group, and that didn't really come to fruition because Max Christie wasn't didn't stick yeah. around, and it was that wasn't really the beginning. No, of Julius it. Marble, this, who's kind of sorely missed. And this this though. Uh, if the right guys stay after this year with the class they have coming in is the ideal situation in college basketball to have really seasoned good veterans with a high-end recruiting class. It's what 2016's class didn't have when those guys all had to start as freshmen and they didn't have the the other guys. And so, you know, who comes back from that? And like, so when people talk about the center position coming full circle on Sissoko and, and you know, Izzo sort of betting on him in the portal and it looking like it worked out or not going into the portal and looking like it worked out early. And that's a debate that can be had forever. You can absolutely make the argument that they should have looked to bring somebody else in and, and just bailed on that situation. Um, but they've done what they've done at this point. The, the, the positive to it is I think there is some value to your roster seeing you're my guys. I recruited you. I'm not recruiting over you in the portal. We may recruit over you as a freshman, but we're not recruiting. But I also think if you bring in a fresh, bring in a, a transfer, you don't get Carson Cooper, who is, you probably don't bring him in, who I think has a really. I, high- I, wait, we talked about that the other day. I, I think that it would have been malfeasance if you didn't, because you thought this guy was going to, you had scholarships available and you thought this guy was going to be a, Maybe project anyways. I think that, and he's a local kid. So you, you know, to me, I think they, it, you know, I don't want to say coaching malfeasance, but you know, it would have been poor to not recognize. Maybe, but but, but you start change. looking at, you start looking at the numbers ahead and there aren't that many scholarships available uh, because you look 2023 class and who might come back and all the fifth years. It's not really, um, but yeah, who knows? But Cooper to me has value. But I don't think those, I don't think the, the COVID, in, with those guys who have the extra year, I don't think that counts towards the scholarship. I think it does. It was just that one year that it doesn't count toward the scholarship. That counts toward your, their overall scholarships, as far as I'm concerned. As far as I know, the but the other element of that is, who knows what would have messed with Xavier Booker and that recruitment? That wasn't a signed deal. That wasn't a commitment at the time they had to make those decisions. And you don't want to mess with that either. If they you look like you're bringing another big man, or and maybe it's a one year guy, so it doesn't matter if you can find that guy. People always say find a transfer to be a backup. Well, not guys don't want to do that. Like that's easier yeah. said than done. Hey, you know, come here and and sit the bench or be insurance. Like well, this is you don't just get to draft somebody. Yeah, it's, it's a recruitment. Um, so, but if you're looking at long term, the class they have coming in next year, they're probably gonna have Hogard back, Aikens back. The injuries to Malik Hall this year may or may not impact his decision. He may decide that he really doesn't want this to be his senior year experience. He wants to, you know, it's not an NBA guy like. I'm going to do another year. Having that guy back with with, with that class would be immensely important. And um, and now he may decide he's had enough of college. But I, I, so I think if you get those three guys back with the class you have going, I think you know this is still a group that you want to get as much as you can out of this year. But there should be zero angst about what there is going forward. I think next year has a chance to be uh, something that they haven't had a lot of, and and really that that perfect blend of, of veterans and blue chip young players. It's crazy. You mentioned, you know, I mean, the three of those guys between Hall and Walker and possibly Hauser could all, if they wanted to, decide to come back for a year. Um, Hauser, I think, would have to apply for a hardship for that. But he'd probably get it, though. I think he definitely would get it because, remember, he enrolled early. He had a season-ending injury in high school his senior year, enrolled early at Marquette to take his red shirt, and start college classes. And I think that's the kind of situation, if you're the NCAA, you look at it and say, you are doing this to advance to your degree. You're a graduate student now. Um, We're giving you that extra year back, even though he's already technically got the extra year 
with the with the the COVID year. So I, that I think is going to be, you know. But again, you know, guys don't want to stay in college. You don't want to stay in the same spot for, you know, five, six, seven years at that age. You, right. And you, in terms of like, need, like Marcus Bingham, for example, you know, Bingham could have been back on his team, uh, but some guys have been there for four years, and it's time to move on. That's the difference between college and the pros. Yeah, and, it's, and you don't need um, like. When you look at Jeremy Pierce Jr. coming in and stuff like the, the Walker, you know, you have Aiken Stack. Yeah, I don't know that you need um, now. And I'm, Walker made it decide to stay, but th- this feels like Walker's year. Like this is his moment in basketball. It felt that way with Tillman was a junior. This is his moment in college basketball. What else is he going to do there? Uh, Hauser is, it came back and he's had a, a wonderful year. And I this feels like, and, and he's actually, you know, you talk to people. He he's the one who's got a shot at, 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 at getting a look in the NBA because. You know, uh, somebody described him to me as a, a um, taller Bryn Forbes in certain ways. Like he's limited, but he's a six nine shooter. He fits the NBA game. The question will be: He'll get a look. He'll get a shot. He may be a second round pick. He'll absolutely get it in a summer league. And the question is: Does he make enough shots? Like Bryn Forbes did. Bryn Forbes, I think, shot like fifty eight percent in the preseason that year. He got a look, and it was yeah. like, okay, you can play this role. And 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 then they develop you and they invest in you. And so the question will be, you know, does he make shots when the time comes to do it? Um, he could be but, a two-way player, too. I mean. Well, he's a smart that, enough guy. Yeah, he's not going to lock anybody down, but he's a smart enough guy. Oh, I, I'm talking about a two-way between the NBA and the G League where oh, I see, I see, know, he, yeah. he becomes an insurance policy for a team, you know, maybe, you know, bounce back and forth between the the, the big club and the, the uh, G League team. Yeah, so Hall to me is the real question and the, and the best need given who you're bringing in and having a veteran there at that four spot, you know, uh, and would be, uh, would be, I think, I just think Malik Hall, another year of him would be incredibly helpful to that to that group next year. Not essential, but in, incredibly helpful. That's a ways off. Um, anything else, Chris, before we, uh, before we step away? Obviously, Iowa, um, an Iowa team that's had some interesting results and, and, and sometimes – Really, really incredible results. They they pasted Rutgers at one point. They they uh, they blew a game. You know, or they came back from Michigan way down. They beat Indiana right. Um, they've had some weird. They've had some interesting results. A very different team than a lot of teams you face in the Big Ten. Yeah, and I mean they've obviously been through some things with McCaffrey's son yeah. uh, stepping they've away. Better without him, frankly, though. It's been yeah. Weird. I mean, it's, you know, they've taken a different step. Um, but, you know, like every other team in the Big Ten, they've been so wildly inconsistent. You know, I mean, it's, you know, sometimes you just don't know which team's going to show up on a given night um, with them. But, um, you know, it's a big game because this is, you know, the next two are on the road. Uh, and you're in a stretch of three or four on the road right now. I mean, you got to hold court at home, um, particularly with the challenges that are ahead. And, you know, once you get past those, the, the Sunday, and the, the, I mean, once you get past this game, um, you got a short prep for Purdue, but then you get a week basically off. Um, so you'll you'll get to the midpoint, get just past the midpoint, and you got a week off to rest, heal, get Malik Hall back potentially. Although the one thing that Izzo said after the game, uh, you know, and right now it's kind of in some ways a mental block. Is it, you know, it's going to hurt. Um, is it he used the phrase is are you hurt or is it an injury you know if you're just hurt then you got to kind of learn to play through and that's you know but that i don't think that you know you're going to be able to to know how to do that until you start doing it so that's you know will malik hall i mean he he went through some of the warm-ups uh at indiana will he be available for the iowa game to me is the one big question if not you're not going to probably throw him into the fire at Purdue. Um, you'd probably wait to go to the garden and give him another week after that. And you get the time. Yeah, that, that would be interesting to see if, you know, I mean, I think Izzo wants him to go as soon as he's ready to go. But but I do think that having that five days you don't play between Sunday at Purdue and Saturday. At, um, uh, it, yeah, and, and I think I think if the Izzo's frustration right now, uh, particularly in Pierre Brooks, is somewhat compounded by what's going on with Malik Hall and vice versa. Because, no, I mean, that's those are the minutes that Malik Hall would be getting, quite honestly, and the role that Malik Hall would be playing. You know, I, you know, I mentioned earlier about three guys that can get you a bucket. If Hall comes back, and depending on his health, depending on how much 
I mean, because you, I, if you're concerned about that, you probably have to have as much as Izzo doesn't want to talk about load management. That's a guy that's going to probably need load management the rest of the year with the foot. Yeah. And, but, you know, how do you maximize if you're going to play him? You can't play him 40 some minutes a game like you did um, in that, that Kentucky game. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta minimize that. Um, and, you know, try and get his, his the most effective Malik Hall. But when he is the most effective Malik Hall, he gives you a fourth option that can get you a low post presence that that they're that this team needs desperately right now. Yeah, and he's um you know the other thing that, that I think they, the coaching staff's done a really good job and the, the the centers have taken some lumps at times, but they have not used Hauser much there, and it hasn't gone all that well when they have. But he went through it last year, and it was it was played a lot there at the five, and I, and I think that's been one of the reasons he's had a good a good season is he hadn't had to deal with that. They play him, him and Hall together at the three and the four more often, gone small occasionally in, in, in certain lineups. I made, you know, that that's there for them. And I still think, you know, you get in an NCAA tournament and you're playing a team without uh, an accomplished big. Yeah. You're going to put your best five on the floor and that's Hauser at the five and Hall at the four. And that's the lineup you'd want with Aikens and, and um, Hogarth and, and Walker. But, uh, but they've been smart about not, you know, th- th- they don't beat up Hauser in that way this year. And I think that's, that has made a difference. We will have complete coverage leading into that game. Uh, Izzo has a press conference on Tuesday. You get a better sense of Malik Hall then. Um, and uh, we'll have complete coverage leading into that game, coming out of that game at, at freep.com and lsj.com. Um, and then we'll come back probably uh, next week after the uh, early after the Purdue game. And, uh, and and we're gonna and as soon as that Purdue game gets over, we're gonna start talking about uh, Michigan State football's uh, winter conditioning and the new advances in techniques of stretching, calisthenics, and weightlifting. Although next week, at some point soon, is is uh, next Wednesday, a week from Wednesday, is the second signing period. So there, we, there may be a yeah. pod late next week that's that's football uh, centric as well. Um, we appreciate you listening. This has been a product of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. Uh, if you like what you hear, uh, subscribe, like us. All that jazz. There's an official read, but I don't have it in front of me. That was Phil's old rule. We miss you, Phil, um, who still edits this pod, by the way. He's still got to listen to it. Think about that. Yeah. He's still got to eat, and he's got to edit. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, don't forget uh, to edit, Phil. We'll talk to you soon.